0: and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty, thanks for joining us today. We are super excited to be here and glad that you are listening today. We're going to talk a little about subsurface irrigation, if you've got any questions about that, or anything that's going on on your farm, you can give us a call here at 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. Or send us a note on Twitter, AgPhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, we're going to get to the AgPhD mailbag just about right away here, but uh, but before we do, I, I I guess I just wanted to again, and I know I've said this a lot here in the last couple months, encourage you moving forward because there's a lot of negative stuff out there, and I, I spent a lot of time here over the last few days. Kind of driving around the countryside, I was down in Nebraska and Iowa, and there's a lot of bad-looking crop out there, a lot of acres that didn't get planted. We have a lot of bad-looking stuff on our farm, and, you know, right away when you go out and look at your crop, you could just go, oh, no, it looks terrible. But then you start looking at the commodity prices. We're already up to 450 corn here. We're going to get to five, I'm sure. Uh, you know, soybeans are now eight and a half or so, and we're going to get to ten, I believe. Now, I you know, I could be wrong, certainly. But when I I look at the acres that are actually in the ground, and I look at the quality that's actually out there, we're going to have higher prices. And, you know, you might say, well, yeah, but I don't have a lot of crop to sell this year. That may be, but I want you to just take a look at what's happened on the Board of Trade for 2020, for 2021, and for 2022. Because of what's happening this year, those prices for the next three years have gone up. And I realize you might not be selling today, but at some point you're going to. And because of this year, we're now going to have higher prices in the future. So I'm just trying to say there there's always positive to go along with negative. You got to look at the positive, look at the bright side of things and go from there. All right, let's get to the egg PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with
1: Brian and Darren.
2: All right, first question. Uh, this is from John, and he said, "One topic I think you guys should discuss is that PP acres can be bailed after September first this year. And would guys see yep. that as a viable option for income, or Absolutely. would a loss of nutrients cause a loss loss of dollars by putting another cover type crop out there?"
0: Okay. Well, the, it, 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 we we've, we've talked about this uh, I think Thursday and Friday last week, but. You got to look at this whole different now. It, this is no longer a cover crop. If you can bale it or graze it, um, that, that's a crop now. So don't be thinking about it as a cover crop. If you're going, if you fully intend to graze it or bale it or something, then that's income. It's just like pastures. A lot of people think about pastures as, oh, it's just, I got to do this job, whatever. What are you talking about? You are now a grass farmer. Okay. So, As a grass farmer, what can you do to raise more grass? That's how you got to look at this this cover crop thing. If all you're trying to do is just throw some stuff out there to hold the weeds down and stop erosion and you're not going to bale or graze, then it's a cover crop. Otherwise, if you are going to graze or bale, then it's a crop. So now I'm probably not going to plant multiple species. I'm going to plant one crop so I can do the very best job possible for fertility, weed control, insect control, disease control. I'm in a tissue test, I'm a soil test. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get as much income off that. And let's say you get for prevent plant 200, 300, 400 bucks there. And let's say you get another 200, 300, 400 dollars worth of value out of this crop that you're now going to raise, I mean, that's pretty darn good. The government just gave you a free pass on stuff so you can now collect, prevent, plant, and in effect raise a crop. Yes, it's not your normal corn or soybeans, but it's awesome. So we've been talking about that. We're going to continue talking about that, but you've got to look at it whole different than you did before that announcement was made last week. And by the way, I don't know all the rules that go along with that announcement. Honestly, I don't know if the government even knows all the rules yet or, you know, every worker in the government that you're going to ask. So just make sure you are finding out exactly what you're supposed to do so you don't lose your prevent plant payment if that's what you did and what you took.
2: All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, Dick asks, uh, looking at the corn crop this year, I'm kind of surprised at how high the average yields are. Wondering, do you think? the average yield forecast of 160 to 170 bushel average will be anywhere as close?
0: It eh, could be. It actually could be because a lot of the fringe areas of crop production are where they got hurt the worst on the acreage. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's just strictly a guess at this point And the weather here over the next month is going to make a big determination in how that yield turns out. But it's already a big reduction from what they said earlier at 176. They went down to 166. So... I don't know that that's all that far off. Yeah, one sixty 160 to one sixty six. Maybe we'll we'll see.
2: All right, I love your show. Very informative. I'm wondering, do you have any suggestions on how to get rid of foxtail in a horse pasture? So getting rid of an annual grass in a perennial grass. Yeah, we
0: talk about this on a fairly regular basis too. We get this question at least once a month. It all depends on what kind of grass you've got out there, and and how you're gonna, and what type of. Okay, so what type of perennial grass you're trying to raise, and then what weed, and in this case he said foxtail. So I would look at, and these are the labels you can check out and see if your grass is on there and approved for use on it. But you've got Pastora, you've got Plateau. Um, I know I'm missing something, Darrell. What else am I trying to, uh, Plateau and Pastora. Uh, There's one other one that we talk about all the time. I'll I'll think of it. Well, well, I'll, we'll, we'll mention I'll mention that later in the show because I can't think of it off the top of my head. But anyway, there are a few grass products, just not a whole lot. The other big thing that we see, honestly, is overgrazing is what leads to this problem. If you do rotational grazing and you properly fertilize that grass, we don't usually see foxtail as an issue out in a perennial grass.
2: Okay. Uh, finally. I had one comment. Have you ever looked at something like an agzyme? It's supposed to in, supposed to uh, get the microbes going in your soil, leading to improved soil aggregation. Are these types of products something that work in your experience? You know what? There's, there's a lot of different microbial-type products or natural-type products out there.
0: We haven't looked at that one. Yeah, we though.
2: haven't looked at that one specifically, though. Maybe one we have to take a look at. Uh, we have seen some big differences out in fields, though, with some of the products, not all. So I'd encourage you to try it out on a small scale first on your farm before you invest a huge amount of money. We'll be right back with more of your calls and questions after this.
3: Hey, Jimmy, any ideas for increasing corn yield? Rise up. Oh, I get up early and work hard. Rise up. Exactly. I could use faster growth, bigger ears, higher yield. Rise up. If only my yield could rise a few bushels. Rise up. Okay, Jimmy, I'm going to rise up. Yeah, let's rise up. His
1: name says it all. Help your corn rise up to its potential with Rise Up Plant Growth Regulator from Valent USA Corporation. Ask your retailer about Rise Up. Rise up to a higher yield. Make more money from each field. Rise up. Always read and follow label instructions.
4: As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pot fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by ActiGrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit
1: k-supercharged.com for more information.
5: If you're like most dry bean growers, you don't go 30 seconds without thinking about the damaging effects of white mold. So let us spend the next 30 seconds telling you about Topsin fungicide from UPL. Topsin is a leading brand used by growers. Why? Because season after season, Topsin delivers superior protection and complete peace of mind. In short, Topsin works. So don't spend your time thinking about white mold, spend your time controlling it. To get Topsin, call your UPL representative or distributor, read and follow label directions.
2: Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio Broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. We're talking about subsurface irrigation on today's program. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 AGPHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, AgPHD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Let's head to the phone lines here. We've got Ty Fickenshire with us down in Nebraska. Ty, how's it going?
6: Not too bad. How are you guys?
2: Pretty good. Pretty good. Finally getting a little warm weather out there, and I, I'm just betting this crop is going to explode this week. Uh, what do you know on the topic of subsurface irrigation? What are you doing down in your area?
6: Well, I, I think it's probably a little bit different than from what uh, some of the folks in the northeast of us are doing with tile line and whatnot, but um, we have a few customers that have some drip tape they've installed and and put some moisture probes in them, and kind of it's kind of fun to watch uh, monitors throughout the summer.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to see what soil moisture levels are and, and I think uh, to to the person, every farmer out there thinks, man, if I could just control the moisture, that would be awesome out in my field. That would give me a big leg up, and it certainly does, but it's not not the only thing. There's there's a lot of things going on out there
6: right, yeah, and that's uh i i think back two thousand and twelve we had the drought down here, and what the subsurface irrigation did and you know it was it was a little more difficult to a
2: little more of a challenge to
6: to manage um and had to take a different approach than what been fortunate to uh, to have here the last few years. So,
2: you know, when you think about subsurface drip tape, I, I think of relatively shallow placement, and a lot of guys are really nervous about tillage. How does strip till work with all that? Are you able to strip till in between those drip lines? Uh, can you go right over them without getting too deep and causing yourself problems? <laughs>
6: Yeah, we've actually had a number of fields we've strip-tilled on drip tape. Um, We just obviously have to know where it is. Uh, Most of the drip tape in this area, you know, it's 14 to 16 inches deep, as long as we haven't had any erosion or anything like that. And a lot of times what we'll do is we will pull the shank off. We're on just a culture setup. Um, We have run the shank over it, and I'm always a little bit nervous doing that, but we haven't. uh, haven't had an issue with that so far. So usually if placement's in the right place, and, and uh, like I said, erosion hasn't been an issue, then um, putting a strip on top, that really isn't a concern.
2: Now, you mentioned the moisture monitoring. This is something that's really changing fast in agriculture with the, the tools that we've got now in terms of, well, do I have to go to every field and just put a probe in each day? Do I have one that that uh, is going to communicate with me electronically where I can manage it that way? A lot of difference there. Are you finding some good and accurate tools?
6: Yeah, we actually uh, work with a company and use electronics. electronic probe that reports to the internet every 30 minutes. Um, And we we used to crop scout, and, you know, our argument there was we'd scout once a week to know what the moisture is, where we know every 30 minutes what it is um, with these newer tools, but there's always new ones coming out. There's a lot of different types out there, a lot of different applications, a lot of different fits for them
2: yeah it's been it's been a neat thing and what what crops are mainly getting put over the the drip tape is it corn and soybeans is it other things specialty crops in your area
6: in in this area it's mostly corn and soybeans the potatoes in this area they're all sort they're for the most part um i know in the front Range, colorado work for an onion farm out there and i think they're up to about 2,000 acres of drip tape under the onions too so, but yeah, in this area, it's mostly corn and soybeans.
2: So. Very interesting. Well, Ty, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on with us and uh, and we'll talk again soon. Let's head down to Texas right now. Get Franklin on with us. Uh, Franklin, how's it going down there?
4: No, going pretty good.
2: All right. So, uh, so what's the moisture situation in your area? Are you getting plenty or is it getting kind of dry?
4: Uh, so far, so good. And it's drying out at about the right time. I, we need to be running the cultivator across this stuff, and it, it's about to where I can get across everything now.
2: All right. So in terms of irrigation, is this something that you've been running all summer, or have you been getting the timely rains to keep uh, keep the need for irrigation away?
4: No, we've uh, we've been getting timely rains. We, we usually don't start planting until the last week of, of May, first week of June. And you know we we only run about we're down to only about a thousand acres right now of, of cropland, and we can usually get in, in a couple of days, so we we don't really have a problem with that. And we've been lucky so far. Our cotton's up just now to where we might think about turning it on in maybe another two or three weeks, but we're we're good. We're looking good.
2: Excellent, excellent. Okay, so what types of irrigation do you use on your farm?
4: Uh, we are we've got one pivot that's about. 70 acres and then the rest of the I think 550 or 560 acres is all subsurface drip.
2: Okay we get so many questions about that in your area how in, in your experience how often are you having to replace that drip tape?
4: I haven't heard of anybody around here actually having to replace the drip tape as of yet and the the oldest farm that we've got that's got tape under it oh I'm trying to think back I think it's 12 or 13 years that it's been in the ground wow
2: yep yep that's fantastic then you think about dividing that that uh, investment out over quite a few years and it makes things a lot more and more affordable no doubt about that when when you look at the the water source that you've got is there a reason that you've got the drip tape versus center pivot is it to conserve moisture or or what was the the goal going drip tape
4: It's a little of both. Um, The fields, the majority of the fields that we have drip under, we don't have the water for pivots. So we were strictly row water on those. And with subsurface, the beauty part of that is it really doesn't matter how big of a well you've got. I I know a couple of guys that are basically on a glorified house well. But as long as you've got the pressure to pop open everything on at least one zone, you're good. You can water with, with whatever you want. Now most of our wells, we push pretty good water. I run usually two zones at a time, and we'll we'll get across every acre. Our fields average about fifty acres. I've got one that's a hundred, um, but we'll we'll run through the whole field in a twelve-hour period, and that's putting you know half inch of water across the whole field every twelve hours.
2: Wow, yeah, that's not bad at all.
4: No, and the the biggest one I've got, I can push a twelve-inch pipe. I mean, it, it's it's a massive well, so. I can open up three, borderline on four zones on it, and I can be across 100 acres in 12 hours.
2: Okay, uh, so it, so when you're doing that, Franklin, are you putting fertilizer with it? Or are you putting anything else in the water, or are you just running straight water?
4: We can. Uh, we're set up to where we can run knocker pumps, and put. Uh, when we do put fertilizer in it, we just run nitrogen. We've tried a mix in the past, but a lot of guys were having trouble with it stopping up the tape. Sure, uh, sure. So we just run straight 32-0.
2: Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, as, as you're going through and you're able to move water that quickly, you know, in the peak of the season, you get a little warmer than we do up here in South Dakota. Are you able to keep up? Is a half an inch a day enough to, to keep everything going?
4: Yeah, it is. And the beauty part about the drip is I can go in there and control it. I can vary the rate on it just with a few little push of a few buttons. So if I want to speed it up, say I've got a, you know, we get a half-inch rain well, on a low spot in the field, I may not need to water that zone. Or I can speed it through there and push it to the next zone and, and water across and kind of do it a little more evenly.
6: Sure. And
4: we run uh, we run farm logs, so I can kind of keep an eye based on satellite images of where, where my fields are at, what's starting to stress, and I, I can kind of see what needs water, where it needs water, and where I need to push the zones around to
2: yeah I like the idea of variable rating and and like you say, if you get a low spot in the field, you may not need water there for a few days after a rain where where some of that high ground may dry out pretty quickly. that's that's a, an yeah. awful good uh, uh, thing to have and and have the ability to do. You know as as you're oh, doing yeah. this, and if you could go forward and you said, all right, I'm picking up a whole new farm, would you put the drip tape in right away is it is it something where it's just you have to do this you have to have it or is it something you say ah i'd have to phase it in over a period of time
4: well it all depends um personally i mean yeah we farm drip but personally i love the pivots um i I just i like to know i like to drive past and see and i like to know the water's there but the drip tape is good but if the field is an oddball shape or it's doesn't right, have a good right. weld and yeah i'll go in there now first or second I, I may let it go to the second year but whenever i put drip i'm going to put every single acre i can in drip at one time
2: yeah i, I love that there. it's kind of like us with uh with working on excess water getting in drainage tile man we want to put it in on every acre that we possibly can to, to make sure we can control that hey franklin thank you so much really appreciate having you on good luck here the rest of the growing season stay tuned we'll be right back
7: Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications.
8: Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus, LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit atticusllc.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions.
5: Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre emerge, Sonic is proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir!
4: Interested in strip tillage? You should know about the Soil Warrior from ETS. With one pass efficiency, optimized nutrient placement, and reduced production costs for higher profitability, the Soil Warrior brings the future to your farm. Visit SoilWarrior.com
5: to learn more. Avoid the V-shaped pattern of injury caused by chemical buildup in your booms. The Express Cap from Hypro eliminates the dead ends that lead to herbicide buildup and provides easy access to your booms, giving a complete flush between applications. Hypro, helping
8: you spray better.
3: Listening to Ag PhD
2: Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, talking about subsurface irrigation. And certainly, it's it's interesting as you travel around the country. There's there's always a lot of different nuances here in in this field. But as you get to travel around the world, I'm betting you get to see some pretty cool stuff. Really excited to have Guy Phipps with us right now with Texas A and M, who has literally been around the world looking at irrigation and working on irrigation in different countries. Guy, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, sure. All right. So uh, when I say you've been around the world, where where have been some of the cool places that you've got to go to, uh, to work on water management?
9: Well, cool is all relative. Uh, I guess the most, uh, the conversation starter locations have to be uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Libya.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, probably not your best vacation choices guy, but
9: um. no no, no. Uh, occasionally I get to go to some place more fun, you know, like the uh, like Trinidad and Tobago, uh, Jamaica. Uh, and of course, it's in this country, but ha- Hawaii's always nice.
2: Yeah, they they got a lot of problems out there. I think I would ex- I would probably have an extended stay there, you know, to make sure we do oh, a good yeah, job. Oh yeah,
9: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, sure.
2: Okay, so what what is the challenge for agriculture? You know, you talked to about a lot of countries there that are really struggling to uh, to grow more crops themselves. Is water supply the problem, or is just getting the water to where it needs to be the problem?
9: Um, well, you know, in most places, it's water supply is the problem. Uh, you know, that's pretty typical, uh, and, and why they need someone like me. Uh, you know, uh, here in the country, you know, here in the U.S., I guess uh, anywhere uh, west of the Mississippi. You know, we're all looking at water supply issues and not enough going around. So, so, so that's the. Pretty typical theme. Um, I am on one project I'm I'm doing a little bit of work on, which is in Rwanda in Central Africa, and there they have plenty of undeveloped water, and that's something you rarely ever find any place on this planet.
2: Interesting, you know, and then a lot of those countries, the the government, of course, gets to be the challenge of how how well do we have a system set in place. In Rwanda, is there an opportunity for farmers to to expand that infrastructure themselves? Um, well,
9: it's you know you have a chicken and egg situation. I guess that's pretty typical to where. The markets aren't really there because the farmers haven't been producing the crops. So, if you go ahead and and start producing the crops, will you we have a market? You know. So, so uh, Rwanda does a little bit of cha- uh, has a challenge because of it's a landlocked country mountainous country in central africa so their access to markets is rather limited so so that puts a big damper even though there's plenty of water and plenty opportunity the climate's great you know for all year production so it's going to be a slow process i think for that particular country
2: now, when you talk about the Middle East, and you mentioned uh, Afghanistan, but I, I, I've read that you've done some work in uh, Iraq and other countries there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you look at that area, we think of desert, yet we look at Israel and all the production that's being done there. Is the same thing possible in a lot of these countries?
9: Well, the short answer is yes, if they could create the type of in- uh, infrastructure that Israel has created. And, uh, you know, Israel is a water-short country, uh, so they put a lot of emphasis on uh, irrigation efficiency and all that good stuff. But what they have is, is that the government uh, has built that national infrastructure to where they can move water from one part of the country to another part of the country. And very few countries have that ability, you know, to where transportation of the water is really limited. You get into places like Afghanistan and Iraq, and the infrastructure, water conveyance infrastructure just doesn't exist, and if you just happen to live next to the river to where you can divert, then you're in good shape, but otherwise, it's a problem, yeah.
2: You know, we've we've talked about water supply. How about water quality? As as you travel around the world, uh, certainly there's a variance in in the quality of water. Heck, even in our own country, I uh, you know some growers will say, "Man, my water source is just not good here." Uh, what do you run into yeah, in yeah. in your travels, and what do you do about those situations to try to help them?
9: Yeah, yeah, it's tough, uh, and the big problem tends to be salinity. Uh, you know that's a big problem in the West is managing salinity and the problem with salinity is as uh, long as your water is in the uh, range to where it's suitable for irrigation it's possible to manage it, but it takes effort and and so that's uh that's the problem is people learning how to manage it. Uh, properly. You know, you have to do leaching. If you have sodium, you have to apply amendments in order to uh, uh, pull that sodium out of the soil, and stuff like that. Uh, So that's the problem, and historically, if you look at the history of civilization, uh, some people put forth the opinion that some civilizations failed because they weren't able to irrigate, uh, manage the salinity in their irrigation water. So uh, we know how to do it. Uh, and so it's a matter of that know-how being transferred, I think.
2: You know, as, as you get to um have the kind of perspective that you've got, Guy, uh, just seeing irrigation around the world, seeing some countries are doing it well, some are having different challenges, and maybe we haven't seen that here yet. Uh, what do you see as a vision for irrigation in, in the United States? What are we going to have to do uh, to still be sustainable and, and to move a 100 years forward and, and do things even better?
9: Well, we need better technology and cheaper technology. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, uh, you know, I think as far as in this country, uh, that our growers face the same problem that farmers do uh, throughout the world, and, and that is if they can, can you afford the irrigation system, your production system, based on what you can get for your crop And when we talk about drip irrigation, you know, that is always the key question. Do you have high enough of a cash crop to pay for the large investment into an expensive technology like that? And and so that, that, you know, that equation just isn't changing. You know, we've seen improvements in irrigation technology, and hopefully we'll continue to see those improvements, but you know but it's a question of still can you afford it like you know we have really expensive um, uh uh variable rate uh type irrigation systems but very few farmers see you know really have have the economics to pay for that
2: yeah, cheaper technology is something that certainly, as as a lot of these things, like you mentioned, uh, with variable rate and other things, uh, have have been developed. Getting them down costs where you can use them cost effectively, is is really the key. Just like it is with everything else in agriculture. Wow, what a what a great uh, uh, discussion. Really love hearing what you're doing, guy. Thank you so much for the work you're doing around the world, and we really appreciate having you on our show today. Thanks.
9: Okay, sure thing. It was my pleasure. Beb,
2: we're talking about subsurface irrigation, and wow, you know, we think about the challenges we've got here, even with our infrastructure that we've got. But uh, wow, you listen to Guy Phipps talk about Rwanda and uh, Iraq and Libya and some of these countries. What a challenge. What a challenge it is. Uh, So we got to be thankful for where we're farming, that's for sure. Uh, As we talk about subsurface irrigation today, maybe you've got some questions or some comments about what's going on in your farm. We'd love to take your agronomic questions. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. We'll be right back.
0: Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott harms an agris specialist with Grain PHD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PHD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at grainphd.com.
1: Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at
5: MortonBuildings.com. Sound the Froghorn! Because now there's a better way to control frog eye leaf spot in your soybean fields. Introducing Froghorn Fungicide from UPI. Froghorn not only has a unique name, it has two modes of action that deliver excellent disease control. With Froghorn, you get healthier soybeans and better yields at harvest time, and you won't be subject to strobe resistance. So get Froghorn and keep Frog Eye Leaf spot quiet all season long. To learn more, contact your ag chemical dealer. Always read and follow label directions.
7: How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at StepsGMS.com for more information.
1: Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is a great solution to feed your crop during side dress or foliar. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target.
2: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, and uh, unfortunately we're getting some pretty tough questions in here, Brian, or I should say tough situations. Uh, This one comes from Mike over in south-central Minnesota. He said, guys, unfortunately we had a fairly wide swath of hail come through and affect a lot of corn in the area. Uh, We were at about V7 or V8, just about to canopy here, completely uh, and it gets stripped up pretty bad. Just kind of curious, what you would do for management going forward? Uh, we're talking about using a fungicide with some foliars uh, and some fulvics. Uh, anything that you would do a little bit different?
0: Um, did it, did he say what stage this was at?
2: V seven or V eight? Okay,
0: and yeah. So what I'm looking at here looks is... looks like V
2: eight to me. It looks pretty big.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. I, that's why I was kind of questioning that. All right, so. If you look at the the hail charts, you can pull out, let's just say you search for hail charts, corn, Iowa State, or University of Nebraska, Lincoln. If I go to eight-leaf corn, and let's say that I had 50% defoliation, Darren, I want you to guess what is my percent of production loss? So how much yield is lost?
2: I'm going to guess
0: 7%. 3%. That's it. So, in other words, okay, so just say those charts are,
2: are off by a hundred percent, and it's double that. It's six percent. Six percent.
0: Yeah. So, I, I mean, do I not like losing in effect? So if you had two hundred bushel bushels. Corn, yeah, twelve bushels. <laughs> do I not like losing twelve bushels? Or really, I mean, let's trust the charts. I think they're right. So, three percent. So you lost six bushels. Yeah, that stinks. But. It's not the end of the world and unfortunately it happens to all of us. We've been hit by hail over the years and you know we know we're going to at some point get hit again. So in terms of management going forward, the first thing I'm going to tell you is weed control. Where you normally would have weed control better, you might not at this point. Now, the good news is late season weed control doesn't hurt corn yield. Uh, there have been a lot of studies proving that. But what it does do, unfortunately, is means you're going to have more weeds later on. So it might be something to think about is some more weed control at some point here. You could still go out with something like buck for example. Uh, but, yeah, there aren't a lot of real great choices. Okay. Fungicide is our biggest question. Guys say, all right, should I put fungicide on? And I will just tell you, we've had firsthand experience of doing this after hail on our own farm. You absolutely will make it look better, stand better, have less disease You'll see it right to the line. Now, not all the time does it make a difference for yield. So, you know, if harvestability is important to you and you say, look, I was probably going to do it anyway. Okay, well, fine. I I definitely do it then. But if you say, all I care about is, Brian, can you promise me I will have yield gain? Nope, I can't. We've had it right to the line where I could see it and I go, oh, my goodness, this is going to yield 20 bushels more. Didn't yield a bushel more. So we don't know for sure if fungicide will pay, but I do know for sure that fungicide will help keep disease out, make it look better, make it stand better, make it easier to harvest.
2: Okay, uh, another hail question. This one comes from Darren down in Nebraska. And doesn't look like the hail damage was quite as bad as what Mike was sending us, but Looks he like said, almost nothing. I, I was just about going to spray status, and here we go. Uh, we caught some hail. Now we've got grasshoppers. We've got hail damage, and we've got some pigweeds that now, since I couldn't spray, have continued growing, and now they're six to eight inches tall.
0: Uh, So now we're off-label with anything (laughs) you're going to use. So
2: here here was my initial program, Status. I was going to use a generic permethrin to try to take out the grasshoppers. That won't kill them. And I was going to put Roundup in there too. Then I was reading your article in your June-July magazine, and you said I should spray a— Strobel urine product like Quadris or Headline for plant health. Could I put that in also with this yep. this big mix? Yes,
0: you could. But let's talk about each one of these things. The permethrin, you can't use that because that's not going to kill the grasshoppers. you got to go to a second-generation pyrethroid, not a first-generation. And
2: it'll only cost you, what, another dollar?
0: Yeah, uh, uh, he may have meant— a second-generation product like, let's call it Serpent, Kendo, Warrior, nope, Asana. No, he said he was
2: specifically going to spray perma. Oh, okay.
0: Yep, that will not work. That will not kill the grasshoppers, so that would be a bad choice.
2: By the way, the grasshoppers are already, he said, a half-inch long. He tried to spray the ditch, but he didn't get there in time, and they already started moving in the field.
0: Yeah. Anyway, um, the okay, so first of all, don't use uh, permethrin. Use a second-generation. Still cheap. I mean, you're going to spend $2 an acre instead of a buck and a half. It's no big deal. Okay, then in terms of the status, it's it's pretty late. And as fast as that corn's gonna grow this week, it's gonna be ninety-five degrees in Nebraska this week, every day, or almost every day. So I I I don't know if I'd feel super comfortable with it, even though there is a safener with it. Um, and it will probably be fine. It still makes me uncomfortable as big as this corn looks to me because it looks like it's way past V5 to me. It looks like about V7 at this point. So if it's me, I may just go with an HPPD and hope that I can do a good job on the pigweed and hope that they are not resistant. I'd love to use status, but I like using status when the corn is 4 inches to 8 inches tall.
2: Yep, yeah, that's... Tough, tough situation. Yeah, yep. And that's the tough thing with rain at this time. I mean, sometimes yep. you really need the rain, but it may come with a little hail and it may delay things. So you can't get out there timing. Yeah. And,
0: you know, here, here's the thing on our own farm too. Let me just give you some firsthand experience. What used to happen to us is I'd want to spray status and I'd l- I would want to let as many weeds get up as possible. So I'm like, okay, guys, let's time it just right. So we hit the corn when it's about that six, eight inches tall mark, you know, about right about V5 or so. Invariably, we'd have wind, rain, breakdown, something, and it would always be just a little later than I wanted. More weeds, taller weeds, you can't get them under control very well. It's like, what What are we doing? I've, I've got to learn from being dumb in the past. And I'm not saying anything you're doing is wrong. I'm saying I was making mistakes because I couldn't get there on time on our farm. And so now we've moved spraying up to V3, V4, so we make sure it's done by V5. Because once you get past V5, well, you're just taking more risk for crop injury, for drift, for hey I've got other jobs to do that's been our challenge on our farm we've got a lot of things to do and I start looking at the calendar saying okay how long is it going to take to do this job, this job, this job, and this job and i got to make sure that I account for some wind and rain and all these other things in there so we have moved corn spraying up earlier and I've been happier with that so yeah I mean there's nothing we can do this year but I would say in the future I if it was me I would consider spraying a little earlier starting at V3 with that status as opposed to waiting to V4 v 5 just to make sure you get it done and especially I would do that on the weediest fields. I'd start with the weediest fields And we want to hit those early because weeds hurt yield. And if they're allowed to grow above an inch tall, I can promise you they're hurting yield if you have very many of them out there. Well, by the time they're six to eight inches tall, you've already lost probably 20 bushels. I mean, it's way too much loss. Now, again, I realize this year nothing we can do about it. We had weather challenges, everything else. But I'd just be thinking about that in the future. Move your spraying dates up.
2: Alright, speaking about something out in the cornfield here, Jonathan in North Carolina said, oh I'm sorry, cotton field this is in cotton, Uh, he said I'm about to put on some 32% nitrogen applied with Y-drops in North Carolina, I'm wondering what you think about this particular product, it's a a nitrogen stabilizer and if you look at it Brian, you've got a urease inhibitor basically is what he's talking about putting out there with Y-drops
0: in cotton um I'm just not familiar with the product. Yeah, there's, so mean, many,
2: there's so many generics out there. Uh, it's it's similar to what Agritain is if you look at the active ingredients.
0: Sure. Um, and and I would say Agritain is a very good product. But understand there are different types of Agritain. So I don't – and I everything's kind of blurry on the sheet that I've got, so I can't really read it very well. But let, let's just put it this way. The different types of agritain protect you from different losses. For example, on our farm this week, we're going to be putting some liquid 28% out on the surface of the soil, and we want that to go with the agritain version that only protects against volatility. I just care about volatility. I don't care about leaching or denitrification because the corn is growing fast now. It's going to. We've got corn that's knee-high. It's going to go... To shoulder high in the next two weeks maybe less because we're going to have 90 degree temps here for the next six days so it is going to explode for growth okay and i want to make sure that i've got that protected i'm not worried about losing you know to leaching or denitrification because the nitrogen as soon as it gets in the ground as soon as it gets some rain it is going to be absorbed it's going to work everything's fine i'm not worried about that i'm just worried about what if i don't get a rain for a few days and i have some volatility so that's the type i want and that's also the cheapest form of agritain you can buy so get something like that if that's what this is great
2: stay tuned we'll be back with more of your calls and questions right after this
0: Every season, you try to raise the bar to achieve your best corn
4: yield ever, but disease can stand in the way. Like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, anthracnose leaf blight, and southern rust, new Delaro fungicide can stop them. Two different modes of action work on the diseases for the entire spray interval, delivering best-in-class dual mode of action residual efficacy for extended performance. It's the help you
5: need for personal best yields. Keep raising the bar with Delaro from Bayer. Always read and follow label instructions. Using NSERV nitrogen stabilizer
2: with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth.
5: Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre. And NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max
2: profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com.
5: No one has to explain stress to a farmer. (laughs) That's like explaining wind shear to a pilot. Now, Mother Nature stresses corn the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Headline Amp Fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your corn can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Headline Amp Fungicide and BASF Plant Health. Always read and follow label directions.
3: Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more.
1: Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. Agroliquid is a great solution to feed your crop during side dress or foliar. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target.
2: To AgPhD radio, right in the middle of the AgPhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. Our phone lines are open at 844 44 AgPhD, or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com. I got an email from Peter down in south central Kansas. He said it's been wet and humid this whole spring. Our corn crop looks pretty good, but it's about four leaves away from tassel. But for the first time ever, we're seeing common rust start to show up on our corn. Now, the forecast is warm and dry the next 10 days. Would you do a fungicide application at this time to stop this and to prevent future diseases? I've also seen a decent amount of stink bugs out there that I could probably address too. Would this be the time to get the stink bugs and potentially disease protection?
0: Yeah, so if it's me, I'm spraying, but let me just say a couple of things. First of all, once you see lots of disease you're too late you've already lost a bunch of yield now there can certainly be more disease that moves in later you can at least stop that and if this isn't too bad yet well then yeah you you might be able to preserve almost all of your yield that that part's good but I, I guess the other thing is oh and and you can combine the insecticide with the fungicide what I would look for is, you know, I, I start getting worried about spider mites about this time of year and later. So I might have something in there that's going to get spider mites in addition to just the insects that are there right now, or so at least I don't have an, a spider mite flare up later on. But anyway, coming back to this whole disease thing and fungicide thing. Now that the corn price is way higher than it was just a couple months ago, that absolutely has to factor into your decision because the economics look a lot better. That said, If you typically haven't sprayed a fungicide in your area and you say, boy, I don't know if this is really going to pay. I I was just talking to a guy this morning about it where he, uh, it was an agronomist and he had some farmers who wanted to go 100% of something they'd never done before. (laughs) I go, I think that's insane. <laughs> let's I'm I, even if you wanted to do a hundred percent of it, at least be leaving some check strips out there. And let's find out. did it actually pay or not? So I'd say the odds are pretty high If your area's been wet, humid, you've got lots of moisture in the soil. You're already seeing a tiny little bit of disease uh, begin to show up, and you've got some bugs out there, so you can, Basically combine the trip so that reduces your overall cost. I mean, or I should say that reduces the cost of what you want to put toward the fungicide if you say, well, I'm going to be out there spraying insecticide anyway. There's no extra application fee for combining the two. So... Anyway, yeah, I I, I'm, I mean, like in my situation, you know, with my experience on stuff, yep, I'd probably do it. But if you want to go ahead and do this, at least be leaving some strips, see how they turn out. And if you wouldn't mind, let us know at the end of the season.
2: All right, Something that's on everybody's mind here, Brian. Julie sends a question. She said, I heard you guys talking about controlling gnats and bugs in your yard and around your home. I'm just wondering, what do you do around your homes for insect control?
0: Well, on the soil, we'll put out uh, like a generic version of gaucho and in the dry form. So Merit, I think, is the product we used last. But anyway, it's just dry imidacloprid. And then you water that in with an inch of rain. So do that once or twice a year. That's going to take care of most of the harmful insects that are in your soil, like grubs, for example. And when you, when the grubs aren't there, you don't have moles, you don't have other issues like that. You'll also, with that, kill some mosquitoes and gnats and a whole bunch of other insects that way. Uh, then we'll spray Tempo. I, I like to have that done once a month, every month and a half, something like that. Tempo is a pyrethroid, so it's like a chrysanthemum. It, that, that, uh, that comes from the chrysanthemum flower. That's where that was discovered, that particular insecticide. Um, and that can be done inside the house uh, just a little bit, too, if you wanted to. Other than that, when we start talking about gnats, one of the problems is they can move in with the wind, and so even if you might have something on the ground as treatment, then it, it still might not do it for you. So that's where Vinegar and vanilla, a 50-50 blend of vinegar and vanilla. That's what we have found to work the very best. And also these uh, dryer sheets like Bounce or something so you like that. So use vinegar if you,
2: and it, vanilla instead of spraying the bug sprays with all the deet.
0: Right, exactly. So the vinegar and vanilla, number one, is not as harmful to you. And number two, we found it to be more effective. And then these little dryer sheets, if, you, if anybody's wearing a cap, like a baseball cap, anything, put a, a dryer sheet or two in the cap. We have found that to be helpful as well.
2: Okay, got a few wheat questions here, and they all kind of work together, Brian. So maybe I'll do them rapid fire. So don't you don't have to go into a huge amount of detail till we get down to the end here. Okay, first of all, Darren
0: knows I like to go into a huge amount of oh detail. My goodness, go ahead. Yes.
2: Okay, Derek says, I am wondering if you can still foliar feed spring wheat right at or after heading. My wheat is starting yes. to head in some fields. Is it similar to spray or foliar spray, or should I stream bar it with my twenty eight? Probably not. I don't want to hurt my flowering.
0: Yeah. um, We have done low rates at heading timing. There are a lot of people that do that to try to increase protein levels. You absolutely can. The problem is if you put it on the surface of the soil, are you going to get rain tomorrow or are you going to get rain two weeks from now? Well, two weeks from now, it's not going to do any good. You see where I'm going.
2: Okay, Uh, one from Andrew here up in North Dakota. He says, I'm going to be stream barring my wheat 10 gallons per acre at 28% uh, either this week or next. I'm currently tissue testing and finding out that I am low in zinc. My soil samples uh, from where I also tissue tested showed that I have 0.38 to 0.45 parts per million of zinc. Well, adding a zinc with my 28% help or is it too late and I'm just basically managing things for next year?
0: you are basically managing things for next year. If you want to get that zinc into the plant, you'd have to do some foliar feeding rather than stream barring because zinc doesn't move well in the soil. It certainly does not move as well as nitrate. So to think that you're going to get much of that zinc into the plant this year, uh, it's probably not going to happen. Okay,
2: and then Thomas in Wisconsin says, I'm going to be spraying my spring wheat with a fungicide at flag leaf. However, I had a chemical rep tell a neighbor of mine not to spray at flag leaf because he said it would negatively affect head formation and development. I think this sounds like bad advice to me. I'm in northwest Wisconsin. What do you think?
0: Well, you might not. Here have heard the full story so very often when you hear things third hand there was a detail that was left out of there so my guess is what the detail is is they were talking about corn and you're talking about wheat and they were talking about corn with fungicide plus an adjuvant like crop oil or surfactant the fungicide at any stage on corn is just fine but at certain stages you have to leave out the crop oil or surfactant anyway on wheat Flag leaf is typically the time where you see the most yield gain out of a fungicide, so absolutely spray a fungicide on wheat at flag leaf. That will most likely pay. We find it very, very often does. I'd say there's a 90% chance of that paying.
2: All right, thanks for the question. This one comes from Evan. He said, I am looking at making a second herbicide pass on soybeans soon, and I plan to foliar feed. How much time do plants need to recover from herbicides before you foliar feed, or should you do it all in one shot?
0: You can do it all in one shot. We do on our farm. But as I say that, it depends on what you're going to throw out there. If let's say you had something that was real harsh Together with another thing and another thing and another like thing, say harsh. cobra so, or
2: famessifen or flexstar. Right
0: yeah, now. so let's say I wanted to put cobra together with uh, fungicide together with Lorsban insecticide, together with two gallons of foliar fertilizer, okay, now I got a lot of stuff that's going to get hot. If you're going to throw out a quart of foliar fertilizer with a pyrethroid and Roundup, well, you're not going to see anything on the leaves. So it just depends on what you're mixing together, but usually we're going to say put them together. Now, here again, how long you have to wait afterwards... Depends on what you sprayed. So, Cobra, you might have to wait two weeks. With Roundup, you might have to wait five days. So, it's it, it really is going to vary. So, if you've got more specifics on that, then uh, well, one of the things you could do too is just call into the show every day, or just send us another email with more specifics if you want a more detailed answer than that.
2: All right, uh, I got got uh, one more fertilizer question for you. This is from Billy. He said, "I'm I'm in Alberta." And happy that we finally got some rain. I was wondering uh, about anhydrous and side dressing. I hear a lot of people talking about this, saying it's going to kill the soil. Well, I'm just wondering, does it really kill the soil? No. Does it hurt anything if I side dress my corn with it?
0: No. Uh, I, now, as I say that, can it hurt a little bit? Sure, it can a little bit. But let's go back to the first guy in the United States raising over 400 bushel corn consistently, Francis Childs. He was using anhydrous ammonia. So. It works fine. Yes, right in that spot, you're going to kill some stuff, but let's face it, when you go out there with any kind of tillage too, you're going to do, you're going to kill some stuff. Even going out with a coulter and with your planter, you're going to kill some soil microbes. So yes, I realize that's not all, none of that stuff is nearly as harsh as anhydrous, but it doesn't take very long and things really recover in that soil. So yeah, I don't love anhydrous, but it's not that bad
2: not that bad i love it brian all right well thank you so much really appreciate all the questions that came in today and thanks to you for listening as well and be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio now stay tuned for rob sharkey and shark farmer radio